Well, you were made to count. You have a drive for significance. God put that in you. He put it in me. It's a real good thing, although it can easily get infected by ego. But it is a drive that we are to honor and to nurture and to surrender to God. And I want to talk to you today a bit about uh, how to do that. I am at the Abbey. If you were watching yesterday, you saw that. And uh, I am actually staying in the Pope St. John Paul II room which is a little bit intimidating, um, but it's a beautiful place and uh, a place that reminds me, us, of the history of people who have sought to follow Jesus and to find it. And what I want to talk to you about today is how to nest. Really, it's solitude, but solitude is kind of a term that turns a lot of people off. So we'll, we'll make it how to nest. And I want to get to wisdom from another one of the masters. We've often been thinking about Ignatius in these days, but there's a wonderful writer, priest named Henry Nouwen, and I want to get to some of his thoughts. But I want to start in the book of Acts. When the Spirit comes and Peter gets up to speak in front of a whole bunch of people about Jesus, he says this, uh, this man was handed over uh, to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And he uses a word there that most often the agony is used for the agony of birth, birth pains. And there's a beautiful thought that death itself, far from being the end, is actually a kind of new birth, a kind of beginning. We die in order to live. He goes on to say, for it was not possible, death was not able, powerful, strong enough to hold him. And it made me think of that poem by John Donne that you might know, Death Be Not Proud, where he talks to death as if it is a person and as if it gets puffed up and egocentric and needs to be humble. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, thou art not so. For those who thou thinkest thou hast overthrown, die not, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. John Donne, who wrote that not long after he himself had almost died, is trash-talking death. We actually find in our death a way to come alive, and that's because of Jesus. And he goes on to quote from David these words, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. And so I ask myself today, is my heart glad? Is there joy inwardly? And then does my tongue rejoice exceedingly? Do the words that come out of me produce joy in other people? And then he says, and my body will also rest in hope. And for body, he uses the word flesh, which so often um, gets such a bad rap. And flesh usually means just simply uh, our lives apart from the power of God. But our flesh, our bodies are made to be redeemed. You might just take a moment right now and relax your flesh, relax your body, take a deep breath. And then this translation says, rest, the, the verb that is used in the passage actually means to nest. 
and I love thinking about creating a little nest in the presence of God. Some people are gifted at nesting. My wife is one of them. I usually work in a little office uh, off a garage and I would just let it look like whatever it looks like. But Nancy recently helped me pick out a beautiful picture for me to look at and a rug to put on the floor to create a nest where I am surrounded by beauty that can inspire me and bring me hope. And that notion of uh, finding a nest is true, not just physically, that's a part of it, but also my flesh will nest in hope, in the hope of God. And this is where solitude comes in. Solitude is meant to be a kind of a gift. Now, if you're introverted, that might sound really good to you. You look forward to it. If you're extroverted, you might hate that idea. Like solitude wouldn't be so bad as long as you could bring some friends along with you. Um, but it is an important part, not the only part, not the most important part, but one important part of our spiritual journey. Henry Nouwen called solitude the furnace of transformation. And the reason why it's so important is that the world that is all around us that wants to squeeze us into its mold is not something that will help Christ be formed in us by default. So here's what Henry Nouwen writes about this. And you might think about the role of solitude in your own life. In order to understand the meaning of solitude, we must first unmask the ways which the idea of solitude has been distorted by our world. We say to each other that we need some solitude in our lives. What we're really thinking of, however, is a time and a place for ourselves in which we are not bothered by other people. We can think our own thoughts, express our own complaints, do our own thing, whatever it may be. For us, solitude most often means privacy. We have come to the dubious conviction that we all have a right to privacy. Solitude thus becomes like a spiritual property for which we can compete on the free market of spiritual goods. But there is more. We also think of solitude as a station where we can recharge our batteries or as the corner of the boxing ring where our wounds are oiled, our muscles massaged, and our courage restored by fitting slogans. In short, we think of solitude as a place where we gather new strength to continue the ongoing competition in life. And of course, it's not bad to find a place to be alone and gather new strength and get your battery recharged. But that's not what this practice is about. Now it goes on. That is not the solitude of John the Baptist or St. Anthony who went to the desert or St. Benedict or Jesus for that matter. For them, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. The place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. And in the Bible, very often, the picture of this and the literal embodiment of it is in the desert, in the wilderness. That's where Moses leads the people of Israel when they're going to meet with God on Mount Sinai and receive his guidance and, and be given his presence. That's where Elijah goes to. That's where Jesus goes to when he's going to begin his ministry. It's the furnace of transformation. Now it goes on. Like, how do I do this? What do I do? In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me, naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. That sounds appealing, doesn't it? 
It is this nothingness I have to face in my solitude. A nothing so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, my work, and my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. But that is not all. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. And I love that image because I find that excruciatingly true. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies and dream lustful dreams in which I am wealthy, influential, and very attractive. This is Henry Nowen, the priest. Or poor, ugly, and in need of immediate consolation. Thus, I try to run from the dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all its vain glory. The task is to preserve in my, persevere in my solitude, to stay in my cell and, until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. And there I can meet with God. We first of all enter into solitude to meet with God and to meet with God alone. There's a deep way in which when you try to go into solitude, uh, you can't get it wrong. It's not primarily about what we do. It's primarily about what we don't do. I just abstain from all the scaffolding of my life, from all the distractions, from all the stimulation, from all the conversation, from all the noise. And there I can find what there is between me and God. And for me, what happens if I am willing to stay in the solitude long enough is freedom. Spiritual practices, disciplines, if you want to call them that, and some of you don't, are always about freedom. That's true for disciplines in general. You practice scales so that you will be free to play the piano. You recite a vocabulary or an alphabet of a foreign language so you will be free to say what it is that you want to say. And in solitude, I go to be free from what everybody thinks of me and what I think everybody wants from me and how everybody views me. I am free to be God's beloved child. I build a little nest in my heart and it is constructive of hope and my poor flesh can rest there. And then I can go back into the world having died to that old life. Nobody's freer than a dead man, dead woman. And then I find life. So, you might think today, where can you carve out a little solitude? You're doing it right now. To nest in hope right now. To be present to God right now. So that He'll be the one at work in your words, in your actions today. Make today count with God. Nest in hope. Thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me. If you'd like to receive the daily emails that go along with each video, let us know at becomenew.me at gmail.com. Or if you want prayer, you can text us at 855-888-0444.